morning, church. You know, a, a funny story before I get started this morning. We, we had a, a little staff gathering um, out in the mall area, and um, there's a schedule. And I'm sitting here just a few moments ago, um, and I'm supposed to come up here after the bumper. And it dawned on me in that moment that I knew I was supposed to come after the bumper, but I wasn't quite sure what the bumper was. So, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> it's already been a great day. It's, it's been really good. Um, you know, the, the words that Pastor Todd spoke, um, I mean, the truth of how God has been faithful, I mean, doesn't that put wind in our sails? And then to hear um, Stacy stand before us and say that, you know, he, he hadn't, he had no idea what was going to take place when he chose the music for the day. Just pure coincidence. So let, let me give you the title of, of my sermon today um, that was picked probably some two months ago. And the title is, is Five Faith Realities. And I think if we think about it a little bit, we'll understand that God is so very sovereign. Amen. And we can know that, that he is at work in the details of our lives from, from start to finish. And we should take heart in that. If you want to get your Bibles and go ahead and uh, turn to Daniel chapter 3, we're going to be in verse 10 through 18 today. And I'll be reading from the ESV version. You know... The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. But many times, don't we find ourselves at what we feel like is a deficit of faith at times? We, um, we really struggle when the hard times come our way. And let's be real, none, none of us wants to uh, walk through the, the times in life that uh, we have to truly exercise our faith. But yet it's in those times that God chooses to, to move us and to grow us and to, and to help us understand more of his character and who he is. I'd like to start off with a, uh, with a quote from J.G. Mockin this morning. Uh, J.G. said, the more we know God, the more unreservedly we trust him, the greater our progress in theology, the simpler and more childlike will be our faith. I think what you're going to hear this morning in the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is going to resonate uh, what J.G. said. And, and truthfully, the childlike faith that he speaks about is evident and present uh, in this situation that we're going to discuss. Before we get into the scripture this morning, I'd like to give you a little bit of background. So we're going to be in chapter 3, but if you back up to chapter 2, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, he has a dream, and in his dream... He is very vexed or um, he, he's very concerned. And, and he's searching the entire land and he's asking for someone to come and interpret this dream. He's in desperate situation. Uh, in fact, he's, he's pressing very hard and he's making comments like, you know, if you don't do this, I'm going to string you up. But if you, can, if you can interpret the dream, then what comes with that is, a, um, is an opportunity for, uh, for notoriety. And, and an elevation in the kingdom. And so they've searched the land, and, and no one um, can, can interpret the vision for the king. And so he's about to destroy all the wise people in the kingdom, and Daniel gets word and is able to speak with the king. And so Daniel um, 
ask Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to pray, and they pray. And just like God has answered our prayers this week, God answered their prayer. And so Daniel interpreted the dream. And upon interpreting the, the dream, he was elevated in the kingdom. And one of his first orders of business um, in the first part of Daniel chapter 3 was that he, um, he asked the king and, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were elevated. And they were basically over all the affairs in the province of Babylon. So they're, they're over all the affairs. And then Daniel, he remains in the king's court. So that's where we are now. We're going to pick up in Daniel chapter 3, verse 10. Um, and walk through this together. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in a furious rage, commanded Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be brought. So they brought these men before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar answered and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the harp and the pipe and the lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will save you or deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said unto him, O King Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, but if not, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve you, your gods, we won't worship the golden image that you've set up. We're not going to do it. What we see here is, is just an incredible transaction. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he calls for them. He asks them a question, and he, he really doesn't even give them a chance to answer. He just he moves right into, you know what, if you're ready... If you're ready and you fall down in worship, well and good. But if you don't, and that king, he's got the power. I mean, I can imagine it. We see the, the pit over here is on fire. The guy's in, he's got the wood in there. I mean, he's, he's working it. He is absolutely working it. And that fire's hot. It's not like they're going to have their day in court. It's not like our legal system, right? You convict a crime and, and you can be convicted 10 years later. It's not like that. I mean, this was a decision 
And what do they say? I like the way the King James says it in verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee. What? What kind of answer is that? We're not careful to answer you in this situation, dire straits? You better know they knew our Lord. You better know they knew the King of glory. This kind of encounter of faith, wow, just wow. And yet, too many times as children of the living God, we find ourselves in a place of compromise. We compromise. The entire episode is just a, a phenomenal demonstration of faith. And there are five faith realities that I would like to touch on here this morning. The first one, uh, reality number one, we need a faith that cannot be threatened or intimidated by the world and does not give in to pressure. You know, the king is trying to scare them. There's no doubt about that. They're in a rough patch, and, and he's going after them. I mean, this is the same kind of fear that I'm sure Goliath had used to intimidate the entire encampment of the children of Israel on that day when young David came up. And he looked at David, and he probably scoffed at him. No telling what he said to him. But in 1 Samuel 17 and 37, David said this. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. David knew the Lord. He didn't just know who he was. David walked in a relationship with the Lord. And he wasn't perfect either. He was not a perfect man. David, he lay with the first, first he saw a woman on a roof. And that wasn't a sin, but it's what happened in his mind after that. And then he called for her, and then he laid with her, and then he had her husband killed. That ought to give us hope because the Bible says David was a man after God's own heart. That's good stuff. Our God is faithful, and he's looking, for, he's looking for believers that will follow him, and he knows we're not perfect. Second Timothy, verse 1 and 17 says, If we know God, we know that he's given us victory over the Spirit. And that's paraphrased. God didn't give us a, a spirit of of fear, but of love and of self-control. You know, we live in a difficult time, and there are, there are things that our young people face that we've never had to face before. And our young people don't need to be intimidated. 
And they need, to, they need to stand, just like our adults need to stand, right? We need to speak the name of Jesus in the supermarket, in our workplace. We need to speak the name of Jesus in the ballpark. When we back into somebody's vehicle at Commercial Bank of Texas, we need to speak the name of Jesus. <laughs> I did that. <laughs> So reality number one, we need a faith that cannot be threatened or intimidated by the world and that does not give in to pressure. But number two, we need a faith that can stand up in the face of reality. You see, bad things do happen to Christians. They do. And we need to understand that. The Word says it rains on the just and the unjust. But we need to know we have a God that can deliver us from the fire or through the fire. He's absolutely able to do that. You know, I think of Job and what he endured over the course of his life. And that just doesn't line up with what many preachers are preaching today. God didn't make those things happen to Job. But God did allow those things to happen to Job. But there's a phenomenal promise at work here. And this promise is your promise if you're a child of the king. If you're one of God's kids, Romans 8:28 says that, for we know that in all things God works for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. This is, this is one of my life verses. And it was born out of a very difficult time when God took my wife and I through the fire. We couldn't escape the reality. There was no escape. Many of you know that um, our daughter Macy has congenital heart disease, and she was born with, the, with a heart defect. About 19 years ago, she was four weeks old. We found out she had this issue. We, we didn't know. We had no clue. She was born, and we had no clue what, what lie ahead. And we sat in the doctor's office in Dallas, and they, they, were, they were saying terms that, I mean, they just, we, were, we knew something was wrong. We didn't understand a word they were saying. It was a very difficult time. By the time Macy was six weeks old, she had her first open-heart surgery. But they called us in the middle of the night and told us she might need to come. We're not sure she's going to make it. Her blood pressure was like 50 over 30. Four months old, and I, I'm giving you some facts here. I'm an old guy, so I, th these are generalities. I'm not trying to lie to you. I'm just I'm, I'm getting you in the ballpark here. But around four months old, she was less than her birth weight. Um, she was little for a long time. We would uh, we had to feed her every two hours. And when we were feeding her, she was drinking fortified milk, as much milk as your kidneys can handle. In any more formula, it would be they were afraid her kidneys would shut down. It would take an hour to get her to take somewhere between an ounce and two ounces, and she was constantly falling asleep because it was like her heart was running a marathon. And so you learned how to bounce around and tickle her feet and do whatever you could do to try to keep her awake. It was a tough time. But let me give you this. 
God delivered us through the fire. And I cannot tell you how much we grew. I cannot begin to express how much life came out of it. There are people that now know Jesus that didn't know Jesus. And God did not make this happen, but he did allow it to happen. And as his child, that promise of Romans 8, 28, it's, it's operating. It's operating in my life, in your life as a believer. When you know the character of God, it changes everything. And it's in these moments that we press into God and we grow. I wouldn't take anything for that time. I wouldn't take anything for it. I, I don't want to go through it again. But I would not take anything for that time. Our God is good. So reality number two, we need a faith that can stand in the face of reality. And reality number three, we need a faith that is always subject to the divine will of God. If you look in the, uh, verse 17, it says, God is able. God is able. He is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace. Able is kind of like the word can. That's just not a word that a lot of people like to use. It's not as weak as, it's not as strong as will, right? We like will. We are always subject to the divine will of God. Let me throw a couple of things out today. Scenario one, two pastors in a third world country are threatened of their lives. One lives and the other dies. Why? Two Christians in two separate car accidents. One is killed and one lives. Why? Two Christians diagnosed with cancer. One dies and the other survives. Why? You know, the truth is, is that we just don't know. We don't know what God is going to do. And we are subject to his divine will. But if we know the character of God, we know that God is good. We know that he is good. And that scripture, Romans 8, 28, too many times we put our temporal glasses on and we look at that scripture through the lens of time and not the lens of eternity. But if we will press into God the truth of his goodness, it will not leave us. It won't leave us. So reality number three, we need a faith that is always subject to the divine will of God and reality number four, we need a faith that knows God will deliver us from the hand of the enemy. There's a difference between the furnace and the hand of the enemy. They first said God is able. Then they said God will. Just like when Abraham 
was taking Isaac up on the mount, and, and Isaac's like, Dad, where, where's the sacrifice? Abraham knew God, and so he knew God would provide. And regardless of whether or not these men are delivered from the furnace or through the furnace, they knew that they were going to be delivered from the hand of the king. Philippians 1, 20 and 21. Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, and to, got, to die is gain. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had resolved. They were resolute that God was going to deliver them from the hand of the king. They didn't, they didn't compromise. They didn't, they didn't sway. They didn't vary. They knew he would deliver them, whether it be from the furnace or through the furnace. So reality number four, we need a faith that knows God will deliver us from the hand of the enemy and reality number five, we need a faith that will be committed to God regardless of the outcome. You know, there are many people that put conditions on God. I think we're all good at this. If we're not careful, we'll do it. God, if you'll, then we'll. It's the old if-then statement, right? God, if you'll, then I'll. Uh, this kind of reminds me of a, of a vending machine, right? You take the quarter out. You say, well, if I, then you'll. Right? I mean, we can't make. God is not a vending machine. And his business is not about the business of getting on board with what we're doing. Our business is about getting on board with the business of what he's doing. But what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have today is they have a but if not faith. And that's a powerful faith. But if not faith says, I'll serve you. Regardless, I'll follow you regardless. I will live for you, God, regardless. Can I just tell you today that if you're living life and you have no peace in your life, that maybe you're not you're not living out a but-if-not faith because that's where God's provision is. That's where his provision is this morning. About six years ago, Kim and I were in a pretty tough place in our life. And uh, Another member of this church and I, Todd Wilson, had bought the engineering firm that I had worked for for about 15 years. 
in the nature of our work, it's that, I mean, we have projects, they last three to five years, and we had three major projects, and we could see them winding down. I mean, like about 18 months after we bought it, we could see them winding down, but it was clear. There was no doubt that we were supposed to, to purchase the company, and so we did, just trusting God that he would provide, and he didn't. Well, he provided all right, but he didn't provide the way we thought he was going to provide. So Kim and I are sitting out in the backyard, and it's funny how much you press into the Lord whenever you're where we were. It's funny how much your faith is tested when you're where we were. And I'm going to be honest with you. I was not where my wife was on this day. I'm so grateful that at different times God uses her and God uses me. It's, marriage is a wonderful thing. But she made a statement. Her statement was, it's kind of exciting, isn't it? <laughs> and <laughs> I was trying not to be exasperated at her in that moment, <laughs> i got to tell you. You know, the words that came out of my mouth made perfect sense. What's that? <laughs> <laughs> Please elaborate. Um, she said, I can't wait to see what God is going to do. I can't wait to see what God is going to do. There was no one else. We were three weeks from shutting the door and losing everything we had. There was no one but God. No one. About four hours later, the Lord gave me a name, and I called that name. The guy's name was Larry. And Larry was in Belton, Texas, with the CEO of the company that had bought his company. And they were headed back to Little Rock the next day. And he said, Jeff, why don't you meet us in Palestine and let's have lunch? So we met in Palestine, and I did whatever he smart businessman would do like I just said look I'm going down could I find could you guys find a place for my people could you give my people a home and the CEO of the company looked at me and he said Jeff we're going to take you and your people and we're going to make you whole only God can do that Amen. only God can do that now why why did I tell you this story? I told you this story because I'm telling you, I know why my wife said what she said. She said it because she knew if we lost everything we have, that our God is faithful. He is faithful. We can love him. We can serve him. I mean, look what he's done in our own church just this week. He is so good, and there is none, there is none like him. So that's point number five. We need a faith that will be committed to God regardless of the outcome. In closing, I have a question for you. Are these five realities, these five faith realities, are they your reality? 
You see, we've heard the story of how God moved through the lives of these three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and you've also heard the testimony of how he's moved in, in our personal life, but what about the times that we compromise? What about those times? What about the times that I've compromised? Because those times are real. And we can't miss out on what took place with Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. I mean, what they did, it impacted a nation. We don't understand the circle of influence that we have. And I promise you, if you profess the name of Jesus, you live in a glass house. People are watching you. People are watching you that you have no idea they're watching you. I've had people come up to me, and it usually happens in a moment when they're in a low place. And it's someone that I, I didn't even, I had no clue they were watching, and they were watching. And God has given me an opportunity to be used of him to speak the words of life that they needed to hear. We live in a glass house. What Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had in common was they truly walked in a relationship with God. They didn't just know who he was. They knew him. They knew him. And they knew him before the fire. They knew him before the fire. So if you're asking the question, how can I be prepared to exercise my faith, I want to give you three ways you can be prepared to exercise your faith. Not to oversimplify, but make your relationship with the Lord the priority of your life. I gave you my first um, life's verse. That's Romans 8, 28. My second life's verse is Matthew 6, 33. And I'm going to paraphrase this. But Matthew 6.33 basically says that if we'll seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that he'll take care of all the rest. Amen. Let me give it to you another way. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and I'll bring order to your life. I'll take the chaos of the world you're living in. And by the way, along with that order comes peace. And peace is not dependent upon your situation. I know that peace that passes all understanding. Because I had it on the 18th and the 20th and the 21st floor. Four weeks stay in the hospital. There are people here that can testify that I had it, and it doesn't make any sense, and it didn't come from me. You can't well up peace. God gives peace. I know that peace. And you can know that peace, too. You know, a relationship is a funny thing. You can get married, and you can live in the same house and not know your spouse. 
and you can accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior and not spend time in the Word, not pray and listen, you can know Jesus, know who He is. You can know Him as your Savior and still not understand His character. And that changes everything in the way you look at life. The more you understand the character of God, I promise you, the higher the probability that you'll have his great peace when you go through the midst of the storm. So that's number one. Number two, build an altar when life rocks your world and Christ strengthens your faith. Build an altar. In Joshua chapter 4, verse 19 through 21, we see the children of Israel, they've crossed over the Jordan on dry ground. They get the stones out of the river. They build an altar. Why? Why are they supposed to do that? Because our mind, is, our, our memory is terrible. I mean, the sky is always falling, and our memory is terrible. I mean, I... Don't we have a great reason to build an altar this week? Can I get your name? We, we had 12 of our very own in this year, and the church cried out. And as Todd stood up here and said, you'll never convince him that God didn't move mountains, that's exactly what he did. We can't miss that. We cannot miss what God has done. And so why do we build an altar? We build an altar because trouble's coming. If you're on the mountain today, you'll be in the valley tomorrow, but take heart. If you're in the mountain today, or did I, did I mess that up? You get the picture, right? <laughs> if you're here, you'll go here. If you're here, you'll, it's coming. So we need to build an altar so we can remember. I can take you to a place on Highway 94 where I, where I cried out to God and I asked him, I said, God, I have not walked with you. How can someone that is your child do the things that I've done? And this guy was giving his testimony. And I said, Lord, I need you. I need you just like he has you. And I'm telling you, he spoke in my spirit. He didn't speak audibly, but I heard the words, okay? Jeff, you're already mine. You just need to live like it. And I'm telling you right now, I never drive that stretch of road without driving by an altar that you can't see. But it's there. That altar is here and here. I built an altar. Just like David, when he faced Goliath, what did he say? He said, the same God that delivered me from the bear and the lion. We've got to build an altar. And finally, point number three, we need to be connected to a local church body. It's one of our church values. It says together in the faith, but it's, it's, it's not that it's a church value that makes it important. It's because what God's Word says, that's why it's a, that's why it's a value. God knew that we can't do life alone. He knew that. And so, when you go through these trying times, 
God knew you would need people who can lift you up. I mean, I had, we had people that delivered food to our house for weeks and weeks. We had people that were on their knees. There were folks that were, that were bringing money to the hospital. I mean, it was like $180, $200 a week in parking. You need to be connected, not just to a church like Harmony Hill. That's not enough. You need a small group. You need a small group because those are the people that are going to call your name at 2 o'clock in the morning that you can call on who will drive to a hospital in the middle of the night and be with you, sleep on the waiting room floor with you. It's important, church. You may say today, you know, Brother Jeff, I don't know this Jesus that you talked about. And that scripture paraphrase that if I'll seek God, it'll bring order to my life. That sounds pretty good. But if that's you today, and you can feel God pulling on your heart. When I said that, you know exactly what I mean, if that's you. See, you can't accept the Lord unless the Spirit draws you. And if the Spirit is drawing you, I'm, I'm going to ask you today, don't waste that. Don't waste it. I'm going to say a prayer in just a few moments, and when I say amen, I'll invite you to come up and speak to me, or you can go to our Next Steps area, and there'll be someone who can answer your questions and speak with you. This is no high-pressure situation. We're not doing you any favors if we con you into accepting Jesus. You can't accept him unless the Spirit draws. You might say today, Brother Jeff, I'm, I've got no doubt I'm one of God's kids, but I'm not walking in a relationship with him. And I, I invite you today to um, to just ask him to restore the joy of his salvation. That's what David said, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. God can do that today. Repent. Ask God to forgive you, and he is faithful to do that just that.